Morning, Rockers. Hope that you are in good spirits. Um, but if you're not in good spirits, that you will be ministered to by God today as we remind ourselves of who he is and what he's done and what he's promised to do. Um, yeah, it's, I really appreciate uh, your grace and patience in uh, having me to speak in this way online all the way here from Pakistan. And it's amazing that it's Saturday afternoon as I record here in Pakistan, Sunday morning as you are watching in Cambridge. But we have the same Lord, uh, the same Spirit at work in us. So why don't we pray uh, that he would work in us as we, as we look at God's Word together. Father, thank you so much for um, this time together. Thank you that you are the God who speaks. You love to speak to your people. You love to reveal yourself. And uh, Lord, I pray that each one of us today will see more of who you are, that our perspective will be brought in line with your perspective. And that you'll give us joy and courage and hope for the days ahead. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're looking at Psalm 127 this morning. And uh, by the way, I'm, if you're wondering what this room is, uh, and I'm in Ruben's classroom uh, for various reasons, which I won't bore you with now. So um, these are school books and another classroom over there. Um, so now you know. Uh, Psalm 127, if you like to know the points ahead of time, if you like to know the kind of hooks to hang your ideas on, then uh, these are the hooks. Being God's beloved and living for what lasts. Being God's beloved, those who are loved by God and living for what lasts. It's Sunday morning. It's the weekly time of gathering, gathering together uh, as a church family uh, and visitors and friends under God's word and a chance to regain our perspective on life. It's one of the rhythms that God has built into the way uh, that creation works and the way that he has us work. This weekly rhythm that every seven days we take time out to come uh, together like this. And there's a uh, there's a rhythm in the day, isn't there? A time to work and a time to rest. There's a rhythm in the week, a time to work and a time to rest. There's, there's seasons of the year, time to plant, time to harvest, as the uh, writer of Ecclesiastes in, in the Old Testament says. Why am I going on about rhythms and uh, seasons? Well, if you look at Psalm 127, if you have it open in front of you, you'll notice that at the top it says, something like a song of ascents or a psalm of ascents. And three times uh, in every year in the Old Testament times, we're talking now uh, when this was written, it would be something like 3,000 years ago. But, but God kind of set up this pattern of life for them as really healthy, I think, in many ways, that three times a year they would take a break from the daily grind. They would take a break from their work life, from uh, the rest of the kind of family pressures and all that kind of thing. And they would travel together as families up 
to Jerusalem. That's why it's called the Song of Ascents, ascending, going up, because Jerusalem was uh, up a hill. And uh, everyone would travel together, go on this journey together. And the purpose of it was to go to Jerusalem, to the temple, which signified so much about who God is and how he deals with us and how we can come to know the episode. Uh, symbolically to to go and actually to go and meet with God, to be in God's presence with uh, everyone else. And and, and so everyone set the side aside, go on this journey together to focus on God. And these Psalms of Ascent are a group of 15 Psalms altogether in the book of Psalms. And this is the middle one. There's seven before and seven after it. And there were songs that they would sing these three times a year en route on the journey up to Jerusalem. And I think that one of the things that was going on is it was a a deliberate, because God has set it up this way, a deliberate stepping out of the daily grind in order to regain perspective, in order to fix their eyes on God. You know, it's so easy, isn't it, to be caught up in frenetic daily activity in just the the rat race and they're kind of rushing from from one thing to another and in verse two in the psalm uh he talks about there's a power cut uh, he talks about uh getting up early and going to bed late um and all that and and eating the bread of anxious toil or uh in the niv toiling for food to eat um, love that poetic image, eating the bread of anxious toil. But it is, it's a bitter image, isn't it? You know, that even the food that we eat is stuff that we have anxiously toiled for, anxiously worked for. Does it sound familiar? Getting up, getting up with the alarm clock before the sun's even risen, slumping into bed at the end of the day, exhausted long after the sun has set and just kind of rushing and hurrying and and feeling stressed and feeling like, like there's so much going on. I mean, when uh, it sounds familiar to me, uh, uh, and you know, it's worth asking the question: When did you last have a proper day off? A proper day off, not like a day off, but a proper day off. And uh, the reason that I'm asking is because I am not actually sure what the answer is for me either. Uh, I don't ask it to make you feel guilty or anything like that, but just to illustrate. That actually this is our experience so often. Here, once again, is God's word speaking into our experience. Vain, you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. And into that reality, God speaks. Verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain, in vain. There it is again. You rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. This psalm, like so much of scripture, is earthed in the realities of daily life. Already we've heard about housing about security and safety. We're going to go on to hear about family and children. You know, real Christianity, real Bible faith has no time for this whole idea of like Sunday is religious and the rest of the week isn't. Or the three times a year in those days, 
pilgrimage, that's very religious, and then God has nothing to do with the rest of what we are doing. No, this, these times of stepping outside like we are here right now on Sunday morning, these times of being away from the Monday to Friday standard routine of life, are meant to inform everyday life, are meant to shape our everyday life, are meant to give hope and perspective to every day, the work and the leisure and everything else that is going on in our lives. It's meant to shape the way we think about housing. It's meant to shape the way we think about safety and security. It's meant to shape the way that we think about our families. But even as they're on this pilgrimage up to Jerusalem, there are two things going on. There's like a, they're, they're singing on, on two levels. It says, if the Lord, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Now, on one level, that's just talking about a house is an example, an important example of various different projects that we have. Everyone needs a house to live in. Uh, and at some point, particularly uh, in those days and in a society like Pakistan, a significant thing that most people do at some point in their lives is build a house for them and for their family. Move on from rented accommodation, get some land and build a house. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. And it's a picture of all those kind of projects, anything that we might have going on. If God isn't in it... If God isn't participating in it, then it's pointless. Not necessarily that it will fall down or fall apart, but it has no lasting value. There's that going on. But there's the other idea of house. You see, in the previous Psalms, they've been singing about a house. One of the famous ones is Psalm 122. They always sing it about, we're near it later this year at the, the coronation. I was glad, Psalm 122, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. And then later on, it starts to talk about that house of David. House of David. What's going on? As these pilgrims are going up to Jerusalem, they know, and partially they're reminding themselves and one another from this song that they're singing, that they're part of a bigger story. And so are we. Because that pilgrimage that they were on and that city that they were going to is a picture for us. Jerusalem was never to be the center of everything itself. They had a very important place in the Bible's whole picture. But it was a also a picture of the new Jerusalem, heaven, new heavens and the new earth, eternal life that God is preparing for us. And just as they were pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem, we are pilgrims on our way to the new Jerusalem. We're part of a bigger story. And for them, that story, and for us as well, that story started, well, it started way back in the Garden of Eden, but a very significant part of that story started with a man called Abraham. At Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, he was a, uh, a wealthy guy, 
uh, a guy who had had nothing to do with God. Uh, he didn't know the Lord. Uh, he uh, seems to have come from a family of moon worshippers. And yet God called Abraham. And he called him and he said, Abraham, leave everything that you know. Leave your father's house. And with your wife and with your household, go to a land that you don't know that I'm going to show you. And I will make your name great and I will bless you. And through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So this great promise started with Abraham. And actually, almost all, almost without exception, all of these pilgrims who are singing this psalm that we're looking at today, they were descendants of Abraham. Many, many, many years later, this whole nation had grown up and all of them could trace their ancestry back to Abraham. But if we rewind, we had Abraham and his son Isaac and his son Jacob and he had 12 sons and then uh, the Israelites, as they began to be known, they ended up in slavery in a place called Egypt. And one of the reasons that they would go up to Jerusalem each year, many years later, and sing this psalm was because they were remembering that when they were slaves in Egypt, God heard their cry, God rescued them, and God brought them out of the land of slavery and eventually brought them into the promised land. So that was a significant part of their story. So we've got Abraham and fast forward down to Moses. And then if you fast forward much further through uh, the time of when God started allowing them to have kings, then the second king was a guy called King David from where we get the house of David. And why is David important? Well, many reasons. But one of the reasons is that God promised David that he was going to build him a house, a royal house, a royal family. Hans of David. And from one of David's descendants, there would be a king who would be the king that we all want. The king who will be king forever. I mean, look around at the politicians that we have across the world today. And frankly, it's not just today, is it? But they don't leave a lot to be desired. It's a hard job. I don't envy them their job. I'm not trying to knock them. But they're far from perfect. Uh, there's a lot of corruption in the world. There's a lot of selfish sleaze and all of that. And wouldn't we all just love to have a ruler who really cares about us, who's really good, who really does everything for the best of those that are being ruled a benevolent ruler and we can trust everything to them. Well, God promised such a ruler is coming. He's called the Messiah, the Christ. We call him Jesus. One day he will rule all the nations and be seen to do so and there'll be no need for any other kings. And that was the that's the hope in our hearts. We can look forward to that day. That was the hope for them as well. And when they're singing, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain, part of what they're thinking is, unless God does this, unless God fulfills his promise, unless God comes to act in our lives, in our world, what's the point in anything? 
And humanly speaking, in those days and these days, it looked like God's project was off the rails. I mean, it says at the top of this psalm, a song of ascent of Solomon. Let's look at Solomon. Solomon was the son of King David. He was the king after King David. And God gave him a lot of wisdom, except he would have done well to spend his whole life following that wisdom that God gave him. Because much of his life was a bit of a car crash. I mean, God had given four laws for kings in the law, and he broke every one of them. Uh, He messed up in so many ways. And then his son came along, and in the time when his son was king, pretty much right at the start of the time his son was king, the house of David got decimated. David was the, the king over 12 tribes of Israel. Two generations later, there's only two tribes left. Two, sorry, you could do two the other way around here and it's not rude. There's only two tribes left. The, the house of David has been pretty much decimated. The kingdom split. Later, they're taken into exile because there's been so much like mixing and embracing the spirit of the age and worshipping idols like all the nations around them do and just forgetting God and you would be forgiven for thinking this is not working out as God planned. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. But of course, the encouragement was that God is at work. He was at work. He was building the house. Fast forward to 2023. We have a census, didn't we, very recently, uh, that showed that in the UK, uh, at least, um, I mean, it's what we've known for a long time, but at least according to the census, Christianity was the majority kind of faith before, and now we've slipped into being even officially a minority, um, even though probably reality we've been a minority for a long time. This last week, I don't know how much you've been following it, you'd be for- forgiven for uh, not wanting to, you know, the, the Church of England bishops, uh, who are the visible face of Christianity to a significant extent in our country, pronouncing all kinds of stuff around that, and be easy to look at all kinds of things in the church, all kinds of ways that we fail and mess up, all kinds of ways that we embrace the spirit of the age like they did then, but where we shouldn't, and to say this gospel project is not working out. It is a waste of time. Unless the Lord is building the house. Unless the Lord is building the house. Unless Yahweh Jehovah, God, who created all things, who has all power, who can turn the darkest situation for good. If he's building it, nothing is in vain. If he's not, we're wasting our time. We're like watchmen. Second half of verse 1, unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watching in vain. We're like guards guarding a city, but if God's not watching it, it's a mother. The enemy's going to come in. You can guard all you like. You're going to be overwhelmed. 
Any project, any initiative is a waste of time. It's in vain if God isn't in it. Now, it can sound pretty depressing, can't it? But it's actually good news. It's good news. Because this is where it really connects with our daily life. You know, many of us are driven by anxiety, by a need to perform. We feel under so much pressure. We look at the, you know, uh, at our work situation. We look at our family situation. We look at uh, families around us. We look at all kinds of different things. And we feel so much pressure. There's so many expectations on us, we think. We think that those pressures are external, but often they're quite internal. A wise pastor several years ago pointed out to me, and never occurred to me before, when he was talking about teenagers and peer pressure, he was like, peer pressure is only a big deal if you feel it on the inside. If you're not, if you've got a healthy view of what your friends think, what your peers think, if you're not too bothered about it, you would feel peer pressure. Peer pressure comes from our response, our inner response to what's outside. And so often that's the case for us, isn't it? I think of my own wrestles with uh, depression and the challenges I've had since coming into particularly mission leadership here in Pakistan and so much of it is driven by fear of what other people think and caring too much about what other people think. But verse 2, look at verse 2, look at the psalm, look at God's word, God who loves you, who speaks to you. Verse 2 only recognizes one external opinion. There's only one that counts. He grants sleep to those he loves. That's the opinion that counts. He loves you. What difference might there be to our perspective, to your life choices, to your standard of living, if you and I, if we really took to heart that we are beloved, that we are those the Lord, remember everything that's packed into the Lord, who he is, creation, redemption, salvation, glorification, God of all nations, where those the Lord loves. Try, just think about your life. And as best you can, just for a moment, push aside everything from which you feel pressure. And come back to that, but just push it to aside like our career expectations, our current financial commitments, the kids' extracurricular activities, whatever it is that causes you to be frenetic, to rush around. And focus on this. You are, if you know this Messiah that we've been talking about, you are the beloved of the Lord, one the Lord loves. You are provided for by the Lord. He's promised to do that. As that wonderful hymn says, you have been ransomed, bought back from the clutches of 
Satan and sin and death, and healed and restored his relationship with God and forgiven, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. I think this pilgrimage that they did back in those days was such a healthy practice. I'm not making comments on whether we should or shouldn't and all of that kind of stuff. That's a debate for another day. But what God was had them do was such a healthy practice to step away from their work. Whatever career expectations they may have had, whatever equivalent extracurricular activities, whatever financial commitments they may have had, debts they may have had, to step away from it. To step away from the pressures of home life and to travel together on a journey as extended family and friends, reminding each other of what matters. And what matters here in this psalm is God and family. That's the other half of the psalm. It's about family, children or a heritage from the Lord, offspring, a reward from him like arrows in the hands of a warrior, a children born in one's youth. And there would have been families in those days as well who were childless. In fact, we know that there were, so that's run so much through the Bible. But it's a concept in these more communal societies. We see it here, and and uh, one of the ways that we can practice it in the West is in the church of uh, of extended family, of, of community. It's talking about that as well when it says children are a heritage from the Lord. In other words, relationships with God or with one another, that's what counts. There is nothing. I've looked through all of these Psalms of uh, Ascent to asking this question. What is there about status, about wealth, about all that kind of thing? Nothing. Nothing. Career, position, paycheck. Of course, they have to make ends meet. We have to make ends meet. But relationships with God and with one another, that's the priority. When we fix our eyes on other things, when we embrace too much the spirit of the age, when we set ourselves unreasonable expectations, then we are more likely, and there may sometimes be other reasons, and I can't obviously speak to all circumstances, so I don't want to in any way condemn those of you who are just struggling to get by with the lowest of expectations. So often we, we build them up. We want to climb the career ladder. We want to uh, pursue academic recognition. We want to, there's all kinds of things. And so we get to this verse 2 situation, rising early, staying up late, toiling for food to eat, sleepless. It says he grants sleep to those he loves. doesn't mean that if you're struggling with insomnia that God's not loved, that you're not loved by God. It means that when we are dependent on our lover, the one who loves us, 
we can relax. And it may be that God is calling some of us to a simplification of our lives. It may be that we've swallowed too much the idols and desires of the world and relationships and contentment in God and sleep is being sacrificed on that altar. And maybe that we need to repent from that. And that we need to look for a way of life in our context that lives out this reality of being God's beloved and living for what lasts. Paul, when he's writing to Timothy in the New Testament, says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. I mentioned uh, a little while ago that uh, particularly last year, um, I was diagnosed with depression. And uh, for me, that was a kind of brand new thing. Uh, even when it was first suggested I had depression, I thought, oh, no, I have depression like that. Just it, I didn't really know what it was. Um, and my idea of what depression was was quite different from the reality. And, and basically, it was a kind of a result of burnout. And, and the roots were, I was living seeking approval from others, pleasing others way too much. It's still something that I struggle with. I'm not cured uh, and recovering. So much of how I was living and how I was operating in, uh, in our work and particularly in my leadership of the team here was sort of, I felt this pressure from all the policies that I have to ensure that we fulfill and, you know, all the, and that expectations of people and, you know, uh, that I, I just wouldn't be doing everything right and so on and so forth. That was the root. And what was the fruit? The fruit was anxious toil. Look at my life. What did you see? Anxious toil. Getting up early, going to bed late, not sleeping well, burdened. And as I said, I'm not cured. I'm, I'm still learning, still recovering. But I've come in the last year much more to appreciate the value of plodding. Hmm. Of living before God and seeking to follow him even when it doesn't make much sense to other people. Of you know, we, we try to keep all those balls in the air, and we can't. And it's okay to realize that some of those balls are made of rubber, and they'll come down, and later they'll bounce up, or they can be picked up again. Some of them are made of glass, so we're going to make sure that we catch them. God often calls us to countercultural choices. God often calls us to countercultural choices. In other words, when he's talking to his people here, when they're singing God's word to one another here, they're not singing about what the nations and the cultures around them lust. They're singing about God. They're singing about their dependence on him. We don't want to build anything that God's not building. We don't want to try to guard and protect anything that God is not in the guarding and protecting of. We want to recognize the gift of family 
and community and one another. And valuing those things can lead us to countercultural choices. In our case, it led us to moving to Pakistan. And even in just the last uh, few weeks, in moving to a much poorer na- neighborhood, the world tends to be in favor of upward mobility. Often the Christian response, often the Christian way is downward mobility. Jesus, though he was rich, though he had the riches of heaven, became poor for our sake. So that in him we might become rich. Of course, we have the, the riches of heaven now and the riches of salvation and eternal life in him. Just like Peter and the first disciples, they were called by the Lord to leave all their business and worldly things behind and, and to follow him. For some people, it looks dramatic like that. But for all of us, it means a change of our perspective, a change of our priorities. And our priorities are shaped by this fact that we are his beloved. Being God's beloved leads to living for what lasts. If that's that... One phrase I can leave with you would be that. Being God's beloved leads to living for what lasts. The world is passing away. Status, titles, academic pedigree, TikTok, Instagram, notoriety, all of it. It's passing away. And just like the first singers of this song, we're on a pilgrimage to God's house where we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What might God be calling you and me today, this week, this year, to leave behind that we've been building, that we've been guarding but the Lord's not in. What might he be calling us to leave behind in order that we can walk this pilgrimage and walk this pilgrimage with our kids, with our community, with our families, taking others with us and living for what lasts? Jesus left behind the glories of heaven the ultimate downward mobility to come and live among us, to die in our place for our sins, be raised to eternal life, to take us home to his house. And and the rest of this life, once we've come to know Jesus, is a journey to that house. Maybe we need to travel lighter. Maybe we need to simplify Maybe we need to reorder our priorities. Maybe some of that pressure that we feel is coming from in here. And we need to look to him and say, okay, and leave that stuff behind so I can walk this pilgrimage with my family, with my church community, with Jesus, to the house of the Lord.
knowing that I am one of those he loves. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have given us precious, precious, precious promises. You're bringing people to know you all over the world. You've promised that those who belong to you, no one can snatch from your hand. You've promised that all who walk with you as our shepherd, we will live in your house forever. Lord, shape our perspective with these realities and give us grace that we would shape our lives and live for what lasts because we know that we are so deeply, infinitely, preciously loved by you. We thank you, we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.